Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be glad to hear the sound of our prayer before you, that you would open your word to us, that you would prepare our hearts to hear that word and work by that word to change us, that we might believe what you would have us believe and live as you would have us live. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'd like to ask you whether some of these, these feelings sound familiar to you. Perhaps feelings of emotional pain, deep hurt, fearfulness, bitter betrayal, a deep trust utterly broken. Perhaps it is that dread, that terrible dread of the next day at the office. Or that quiet terror of the backstabber's next anticipated move, or the sheer evil of knowing that you will have to walk amongst the bullies and the wicked, whether at home or, or school or at work. Somehow it seems that such enemies, and many others like them, often do seem part of our lives, at least at times. I know that's true for me, and I know that it is true for many of us here as well. But what can we do when we face such a situation? And more to the point, if we do pray, if we do ask God, will he hear our prayers? Can we really expect him to act if we call out to him? In our psalm today, we hear from King David who fully expects God both to hear him and to act. We're going to see why he has this expectation, and then we're going to see something surprising about what that means for David and for us. He starts in verse 1, confidently asking God to hear his prayer. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my droning. Uh, why does he... Ask God to hear his prayer. Well, simply because of who he is praying to. You see, a king is someone who hears the petitions from his subjects. A God is someone who hears the prayers of his people. And the one to whom he is calling is both his king and his God. As he says, verse 2, Give attention to the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you do I pray. He knows his God will hear him. Next, we read that he also knows his God will answer him. His prayer is expectant of a response. He is starting off the day by asking God for help in this very thing. Verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. And then he prepares, and he just watches to see God act. Verse 3 continues, In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, and watch. That's a great confidence, isn't it? Why is he so confident that God will act? Well, the reason is because he knows that this is a God who hates wickedness. 
And so because he is praying because of problems with wickedness, he expects that God will hear his prayer. Verse 4, he says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. But not only this. Because he knows that God hates wickedness, he knows that God also hates those who do wickedness. He hates the wicked. Because he knows that evil cannot dwell with God, he also knows, therefore, evil dwellers will not dwell with God. And that means that he can pray confidently, knowing that one day God will destroy not just the evil works, but the evil doings, doers, his enemies. That's verse 5 and 6. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Here he lists four specific evils of his enemies. See if you can recognize four of them. He says, verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Did you get four? Boastful, speaking lies, being bloodthirsty, and being deceitful. You can kind of imagine the kind of enemies that he's up against, can't you? People who are magnifying themselves against God and his king, boastful people, people who tell lies, people who are like serpents willing to deceive, people who will even shed blood to get their own way. People who, as David rightly prays, are just the kind of evildoers that God will surely destroy. Meanwhile, David has his own certainty. He is sure that the Lord will save him. He is sure that he is not one of the wicked who will enter the judgment. In fact, he concludes that on the day that God judges the evil, God, through his covenant love, will bring him David to dwell in his house forever. Verse 7, David prays, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. That's the basic grid of how David is starting his prayer. And now he's going to give us the three things he prays for. And there are basically three big requests he makes. Number one, he asks God, to lead him in his righteousness. Now, this is not primarily a prayer that God would stop him becoming unrighteous, although that's a good prayer to pray. It is a prayer that the righteous God will lead him safely through the perils of this life because he is surrounded by enemies. It is a prayer that God in his righteousness will show him the right path through the minefield that the wicked have laid with their deceitful tongues. He prays, verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And this is a very important prayer for him because he knows how dangerous those enemies are. He knows that these are people who cannot be trusted. Verse 9, there is no truth in their mouth. He knows there are people who are actually evil to their core, their inmost self is destruction. He knows that their words only lead to death and defilement. Their throat, he says, is an open grave, and their tongues are used to manipulate. They flatter, he says, with their tongue, which leads him to his second request from God, which is kind of the opposite to the first. For here, in 
He does not pray that God will lead his enemies in his righteousness. He prays rather that God will stumble his enemies with their unrighteousness. But again, note this, it is not because David hates his enemies, but because David knows that God hates the evil these enemies are doing. Because David knows that when these enemies have chosen to do evil against David, they have therefore rebelled. They have sinned against God. As he prays, verse 10, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. And finally, he turns his attention to the flip side of that in the last two verses of the psalm, where he hopes for that day when evil is no more, when God when God brings a day for all his righteous, when his righteous people will rejoice and sing for joy because they have been saved from their enemies. Verse 11, he prays, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. And why? Simply verse 12, he says, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. It looks really good, doesn't it? Doesn't it look wonderful? Apart from one thing. Can David really pray this psalm? David, if you think back, he's been assuming all along that he is the righteous one whom God saves, not the wicked one whom God destroys. I'm guessing at the time David wrote this, he thought it was absolutely true. But with hindsight, a look at David's life says something quite different. Do you remember how in this psalm David insists that God destroy the boastful evildoers and bloodthirsty, deceitful liars? Well, damningly, that is exactly what God's prophet Nathan charges David with after the terrible events of Uriah and Bathsheba. It's in your, in your bulletin. I've printed it. Nathan says to David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Who now is the evildoer? Who now has boasted against the Lord? Who now is the bloodthirsty? Who is it who has used lies and deception like a serpent to try to hide his terrible sin? It is David, isn't it? According to David's very own words in this psalm, it is David who God should destroy and cast out of his presence. And this is not lost on David. For after Nathan exposes his sin... He sets to work writing a very different psalm. He writes Psalm 51, a psalm which is almost the opposite of this in many ways. In that psalm, he speaks no more of confidently preparing and watching for God to act against his enemies. In that psalm, we just hear, Have mercy on me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And where our Psalm 5 calls out, let the wicked fall by their own counsels. They've rebelled against you. Psalm 51. 
we hear David penitently cry, it is against you and you only that I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What David said in Psalm 5 is absolutely right. God does bless the righteous. He does hear their prayers. He does cover them with favor as a shield. It's just that ultimately David realizes that he is not that righteous one that God blesses. He can't really pray his own psalm after all. But how about us? Can we pray the psalm? Well, here, the New Testament is a great help to us, for this psalm is quoted exactly once. Romans chapter 3, it's on your, in your bulletin, in which Paul uses it to show that actually we too are not righteous. I'll quote the passage that I've quoted on your bulletin. He says, None is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he quotes our psalm and says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. It's not just David who's not righteous, is it? But it's us too. Speaking personally, I know this to be true. To my shame, I can think back to far too many times when I've used my tongue to deceive or, or my lips to flatter. Times I've bent or, or blurred the truth to get my own way or to hide my own failings. Truth be told, I have no greater claim to being the righteous one than David. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, Actually, none of us can, can we? But deep down, we know God is right when he says that in and of ourselves, none of us is righteous. Kind of seems that we can't really pray the psalm either, doesn't it? Or can we? And this is the amazing thing. The amazing thing is just when we thought that all was lost, God does something incredible. For just after showing us in that very passage from this very psalm that we are not righteous, he then promises us the righteousness we so much need. That's also on your outline, Romans 3 and verse 21, where he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to get this. Yes, it's true we have got a serious righteousness problem. Our righteousness is no righteousness, it's unrighteousness. In and of ourselves, no, we cannot pray that psalm. But yet God justifies us. God freely says to us, you are righteous through Jesus. God treats us who are not righteous as if we are righteous for Jesus' sake because the one who really is righteous, Jesus has died to deal with our unrighteousness once and for all. As St. Peter says, Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Or as St. Paul puts it here in Romans, it is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Dear brothers and sisters, know this. If you have faith in Jesus, 
unrighteous as you may be. If you have faith in Jesus, then God says to you, my child, you are now righteous. Christ's blood atones for your sins. His death has paid your judgment, and you are righteous before God in Jesus. And do you know, do you see what that means? First, of course, it means that it humbles ourselves most most shockingly. It means we have nothing to boast of before God. But more than that, do you see that suddenly when we know that we are righteous in Christ, the gloomy clouds of this psalm seem to, to lift. And the words again shine with rich and bright promises and assurance. These are promises now for us in Christ. These are promises that in Jesus because we are counted righteous, we know that he does indeed hear our voice when we call on him against our enemies. In Jesus, we know that he hears our voice when we call on him for that day when he will destroy all evil forever. In Jesus, we're sure that we will not be counted amongst the wicked. In Jesus, we know we can ask God to lead us in his righteousness and that his son, like the good shepherd, will lead us even through the shadow of the valley of death and bring us safely to dwell in his house forever. In Jesus, we know that God always spreads his protection above us, that he blesses us, that he covers us with his favor as a shield. We know that he not only hears, but he acts and he saves in Jesus. If you identified with what we said at the beginning, that fearful dread of those who are against us, our enemies, those who are opposed to us, the terror of the heart, then fear no more. For you know that in Jesus, God is glad both to hear and to act when we call upon him. As our conclusion puts it, we can confidently pray to God in times of trouble through Jesus. We know God will hear us because of Jesus' righteousness. Because of Jesus, we know he will answer us, lead us, and protect us till we arrive at the rejoicing of the world to come. All through Jesus. So may Jesus Christ be praised. Let's pray. Mighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you to thank you and praise you for the depth of your love and mercy towards us who are of ourselves unrighteous. We thank you that you sent your righteous son, that he would be a sacrifice to take away our unrighteousness, that through faith we would be righteous in him. We thank you that you give us that gift of righteousness and treat us as if we had not sinned. We thank you for the confidence that that gives us. Pray that you would give us rest of heart and peace of soul as we know that in Jesus we are dearly loved, that you will fight our enemies and bring us safely into your eternal kingdom. Pray, Father, that you would give us humble and thankful hearts for the wonders of your grace. Pray, Father, that our lives would be to your glory and to the glory of that Son Jesus Christ, the one who so loved us that he gave his life for us. Amen.